everyone. Welcome back to Manager IQ's interview series. Alexis Donicky here, CEO and founder of Manager IQ, a place where managers can join, develop and thrive. We're excited to bring you another installment of the Manager Interview Series, which brings managers together so we can learn from each other and we can build our confidence and capability. And I've got another ex exciting installment here, and I've got Daniela Owen Whitford, who is a former corporate executive with 20 years of leadership experience in operations, retail, customer service, and large-scale transformation. Danny left the corporate world after experiencing burnout to become the founder and CEO of Pioneer to help prevent burnout from happening to others. Danny built a great team who brought her vision of mental health bot called Indie to life. Indie strives to help people and companies manage stress, prevent burnout and create great places to work. I just love that. But Danny, welcome. How are you? <laughs> um, thank you, Lex. It's great to be here. I'm very well. Thank you. How are you? Yes, I'm really good. Thank you. Really good. I think we mentioned before we we're excited about the, the different changes in lockdown that's happening yes. for both Sydney and Melbourne. So it's an exciting time at the moment, which it is, is, it uh, is and a good time for our mental health, actually, to get outside a bit. So, yeah. yes. And I would just love to hear a little bit more from you around Pioneer and your vision and what you're looking to do in your journey to date, if you wouldn't mind sharing. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, as you talked about in the intro, I didn't realise it's 20 years. It, it you know, <laughs> makes me sound very old. Um, as you talked about my journey through um, through my career, and I have seen it with a lot of my friends and colleagues. It's very mm. much the same. We work very hard and we're very committed to what we do. And so as a consequence, we don't always see the signs that our bodies are giving us to look after ourselves. And for me, that kind of manifested in burnout in 2016. And so what I noticed is I'd see emails from people that would say, here we go again, I don't want to do this anymore. And I would step in and help them and they would go on and, you know, be okay and deliver. And I really just wanted to automate that. So Pioneer mm -hmm. just looks for the markers of stress and wellness in language. And then when it sees that, it sends you a tip to help you de-stress in real time. So the psychological sort of basis is that we can self-regulate if we catch it early. So that's what we that's what we decided to build. So I guess I wanted to use my not so great experience to help mm -hmm. prevent that in others. Yeah. Well, I think it sounds like a wonderful and meaningful, you know, business um, and a problem to solve for sure. And and I think you're right. We see such significant mental health issues that happen in the workplace. But if we had seen them or caught them so much earlier, they're they're a lot easier to overcome um, rather than, you know, a lot further down the line when they're just like much more entrenched issues for, for individuals. So I think it's such a fantastic opportunity, really. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because when we talk about mental health, that's a spectrum of mental health. So we have, you know, looking after ourselves and you might call it well-being or anything at this end. And then you have mental ill health at the other end. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people in those very early stages, because as mm -hmm. I said, the body can self-regulate, but also we can learn good habits and we can learn good patterns. Um, mm -hmm. But we are biased to our own um, our own mental state. So uh, like we have any unconscious bias for a range of things, we also have an unconscious bias towards ourselves. So what we do is because our system is a third party, a third party can help us see something that we are biased to ourselves. Um, so if we can keep people in that kind of productive zone, that mentally mm. well zone, keep their resilience high, then they can deal with the knocks of life mm. and the sort of pressure of a workplace and they can bounce back. So that's what we're doing is working that very very early end before and and as you get to the you know if you get to the mental ill health end then of course you need medical intervention and stuff like that um we're helping people stay in that early stage 
Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. I just love I love what you're doing and we could talk about it for ages. But what we will do is we'll make sure that we get some contact details for any person or organization who's interested to hear more about you. They can they can get in touch. So we'll certainly do that. Love that. Thank you. Not a problem. So we're here to talk about your experience as a manager and maybe if you want to shine a little bit of light, um, particularly on your career, which relates to you know when you became a manager and your experience in that area. Yeah, um, it was quite interesting. So I became a manager probably in my early 20s, mm -hmm. um, maybe mid-20s actually, and I did it because I went to a new company. So I went to a new company to get this new job, and as I started, they said, oh, by the way, you'll have three or four people that you need to manage. And I was like, <laughs> oh, really? Like, uh, So that told me two things. Firstly, management and leadership wasn't valued in that company because it wasn't part of the decision-making process to hire me. So I thought, wow, okay, that sends a really interesting signal about that. Mm -hmm. But then secondly, um, there was a real mix of people in that team and there were people that were younger than me but quite a few that were older than me, more experienced, mm -hmm. didn't want – I was now between them and the big kind of boss of the department. They didn't want someone between them and the boss. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a really kind of interesting um, interesting experience. I was very lucky because my mum had quite a bit of leadership and my mum's a social worker so she was training social workers and being leaders so she was a good go-to um <laughs> because a couple of people one in person in particular was really difficult and would just cry in every meeting I tried mm -hmm. to do have a performance discussion they would just cry and I'd be like oh I'm so sorry and my mum would be like no sit there with tissues and wait for them to stop I'm like yeah. okay <laughs> so she was really good so that gave me a really good um good grounding and that was kind of my early stage then I moved on actually I had a couple of jobs and then ended landing in NRMA which um at the time was NRMA it's now IAG mm -hmm. and I was very fortunate I got lots of great opportunities and I went in to manage a team on a maternity leave position um and then the person came back to the maternity leave role and then I went on to other divisions and I just started managing groups of people um and then I I went off interestingly but I never thought that much about leadership being a skill it was just something mm. that I did as part of my other jobs then I went off and had my first child and I was made redundant during that period of having a, a child and being on mat leave like many women do mm. and I went to go back to work and the job that they were offering me was in the sales team um, as actually part of the sales leadership team and I remember saying to the state manager at the time I don't have, I'm not a salesperson. Like mm. I don't have a sales background. Everyone else in the team had a really strong sales background. And he said to me, I don't need you. I put a lot of salespeople. I don't need mm -hmm. you for your sales skill. I need you for your leadership skills. Like we oh. need leaders. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? And then he explained it. And I'm like, oh, this is the first time I actually thought that leadership was a skill and valued in and of mm -hmm. itself. And I was very fortunate. I did a lot of leadership training and coaching and stuff like that so I was able to build my leadership expertise um, and then I guess over time um, my roles and my experience just got bigger and bigger and bigger um, mm. and then I started leading people that led people so I guess you know leaders of leaders which was a bit different again um, and and through the whole time I guess I stayed this is me in general but I stayed quite curious and quite open and I always mm. sought feedback and I, I tried to take the opportunity to continue to develop that leadership skill as much as I was my technical skill. And mm. now that I'm in a startup, but doesn't have the same level of resource or support that you have in a big corporate, I talk to my team quite a bit about leadership and do they want to step into leadership and what does that look like? And I just had a call actually with one of my team that's moving more into a leadership role. So we're going to set up a development plan for him. And mm -hmm. part of that is actually leadership as much as his technical skills. So I've, I've had some good um, opportunities to develop that along the way. 
Yeah. Wow, that's so so fantastic. And there's so many bits and pieces I would love to unpick, but I'll try and try and do a few. But um, the one thing that I thought was so fascinating when you mentioned right at the front through the beginning that you went into a role that had management as part of it, but it wasn't part of the leadership decision making process when they employed you because you hadn't had that experience. So had they employed you more for your technical expertise in the first instance? Right. OK, yeah, so that was yeah, big. yeah, that yeah. Was you know, especially at that entry level manager role. Yeah, I think, um, and I think a few things happened in the workplace and some things changed around. But yes, absolutely, all of the interview, all of the negotiation of the role, everything was around my technical expertise. Uh, it was a communications kind of, you know, I was in, I was in corporate affairs, communications, that sort of area, investor relations. So that was what the it was all about. And then I arrived, and they're like, oh, by the way, here are these three people. And, and not even in the same discipline. So a couple, one was a communications person, but the other one, one was like a visual artist. So mm. one was a designer and another one was someone else. So completely different kind wow. of capabilities, but we were all grouped together. When you were talking about having, I guess, difficult conversations when an individual was responding in a way that was quite emotional and so forth, what was the other skills that your maybe your mom or you had picked up along the way that actually helps managers handle those difficult conversations that might be highly emotional or whatever it might be? Yeah, you know, I learned I learned through that instance actually through my mom that um, uh, that was actually in this instance. It's not always the case, but in this particular instance, we figured out that was just like a stalling tactic because that person had also used it with my boss, who was their boss before. Uh, we talked and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what they do. So I'm like, oh, okay. So it was great in terms of me identifying stalling tactics and mm -hmm. resistance and how to deal with that. And so we tried a couple of things and they, we figured that out in the end. Um, mm -hmm. As time went on, I guess what I realised is that there's quite a fine line between being responsible for someone and being compassionate and considerate. So mm -hmm. I, I uh, and those difficult conversations, whilst they're incredibly difficult, usually end up in a good place if, you do them with compassion and respect because mm -hmm. it's actually that it's the honesty and the transparency that that other person values so they usually know that something's not quite right and I've had instances where we've had to move people on and done all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff um, really difficult stuff but if you're very clear and transparent with people this is what it is this is why and this is what it means for you um, and sometimes it's really awful there are hysterics and crying and threats and all that sort of stuff but usually because mm. that person, and I'm very considerate that that person is usually in pain, so I'm like, well, how can I lessen their pain? But still I'm very, now I have become very sort of, not matter of fact, but just move from step to step to step because ultimately I've had several instances where that person's come back and said, thank you, actually, you're right, thank you, and it was time for me to go or it's time for me to change. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so whilst those tough conversations are really tough, um, mm. usually if you do them with respect and compassion for the other person then it usually ends up in a um, in a good place but also not to be defensive and triggered in those conversations mm. because sometimes we can we take it all on that's what I mean about being responsible we take it all on and we feel terrible yes. and we have to fix the situation yes. we have to make that person feel better um, mm. and you know you can then become quite defensive so you've just got mm. to remember it's actually not about you half the time. Yeah, I mean, those are such wonderful thoughts there. And it's around that active listening, you know, like I think it's yeah. 
compassion piece. It's around making sure that you're not having these preconceived ideas around what you think the issue is. And it's more around taking the time to really sit and kind of be curious, you know, poke at the problem a little bit more and really understand what they're saying. And, and then often it kind of almost turns into a bit of a coaching scenario where they might actually get there themselves, you know, around these hard, challenging conversations. But it's almost a gift if we can think about that. It's an investment in our people if we do have these difficult conversations. And like you said, because there can be good outcomes for that individual, because if they're that way, they're not happy where they're at right now either. So if you can get them into a happier place in the organization or somewhere else, that's a win for everybody in the end. Uh, look, I totally agree. Absolutely. It's a win for the individual, it's for the team, for the customer, the whole lot for the company. I think also you can you can be very clear and transparent with people through the process too. Like, you know, as I said, I was just talking to one of my team members about, um, about a development plan because I want him to be successful. So I want to get to the next three months and I want him to be super clear on what I'm going to measure him against mm -hmm. so he can get there. And if he gets there, which I'm pretty sure he will, awesome. Like he's going to be a superstar, right? I'm thrilled for yeah. him. But if he doesn't, and we have to have some difficult conversations, we know what the guideposts are. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like he's surprised or he's going to be blindsided. And that usually causes some problems. And at all, he gets nothing from me. And then in a vacuum of communication, people automatically think the negative and then they become defensive and then they start looking for other jobs. So I think if you can be very transparent with people about what you expect what their role is, what success looks like. I learnt the hard way from one of my managers years ago, brilliant woman, but she would just say, do this, run an event. And I'd go, okay. And then I'd go, oh my God. So I learnt to actually then manage up to say to her, okay, well, what sort of event and who would you like there and what are we going to achieve? And I'd ask her and she would laugh. Oh, here we go. Here are the 20 questions. Yes. But I learnt, right, these are the things that I need to be successful. And yeah. so because I, I stuffed up the first time when I didn't ask those questions. Mm. Um, and she would then tell me all of that and go and be happy that I asked her all the questions. And then we go off and, and um, we deliver a pretty successful whatever it was, event or initiative. So yeah. I think if you can give people that, but if you're a leader or even not a leader and you're listening to that, if your boss is not giving you that, then just ask them. My favourite question, what does mm. success look like to you? Yeah. How will we know we're successful? What are we celebrating? Yeah, I think that's excellent advice to give any managers who are listening at the moment. And something that we talk about in the new manager development program that Manager IQ has around what is the role of the manager? And it's actually facilitates a conversation between you and your leader. And it goes on the back of the job description. Do you understand everything that's in there and asking different questions so that you and the leader are on the same page? Because the document is one thing, but the expectations in someone's mind around their experience and what they want for the future of that role could be quite different. So it starts to facilitate this more open dialogue between you and the leader and much better to ask multiple questions up front or during these different times where you need clarity rather than, like you say, do something and it maybe doesn't quite hit the mark. Totally. Look, totally. And also things evolve. And th as we've seen through the pandemic, things evolve quickly. So the job that you came into is not necessarily the job that you might yes. be doing two and three months later, or if you are, you're doing it in a completely different way. Uh, mm -hmm. So we've had a situation where a couple of people have moved around in my team as a not just a result of the pandemic, but just change, you know, as change mm -hmm. happens over time. So then we're allocating tasks to different people. So, you know, roles will evolve over time. So it's important to keep that dialogue going. Um, mm -hmm. And that also builds trust and then builds engagement and then, you know, all of the positive benefits we get, you know, mental resilience and well-being. So all of the stuff that we that we want to achieve. 
Yeah, exactly. And your team, you know, like you and your leader's success relies on each other. Yeah. So, you know, like you're a team to work towards a certain goal. So if the more that you can have that trust and open communication, the better it is for you both. So it's a win-win. Totally. totally. Absolutely. I agree. Thinking about your career, was there a defining moment when it came to management that really springs to mind? Um, I... <laughs> Look, I, I've got a couple actually, one sprung to mind that's probably not a good example of management, but, um, I, you know, the example I used before with the, the my was about to be my boss saying, I want you for your leadership skills actually was a defining moment in terms of leadership. But um, I have a funny, actually a funny story about what not to do. I was um, talking <laughs> to a team member of mine, it was quite early in my leadership journey and it was a man and he was just not behaving very well. And I didn't think I'd handled it very well because I was very, but in hindsight, it was a perfect way. To, I was very direct and I was very straight. Yes, no, don't do this. Like, which wasn't normally like me. So I thought that I'd done the wrong thing. So I came out of the room and I ran into one of my male colleagues and I said, oh, I don't think I did that very well. And he said, what do you mean? What happened? So I gave him a brief over. He goes, did you yell at him? I said, no. He goes, did you throw a chair? I said, no. <laughs> he said, well, then I think you're fine. I said, when did the baseline of management become throwing chairs around? Like that's not, I mean, given this, I mean, it was 10 years ago, but still not acceptable. Mm -hmm. So I always remember that because I thought I had done such a terrible job mm -hmm. and I realised actually in hindsight it was probably a pretty good job actually, mm -hmm. but that my baseline actually was probably better than what I thought it was. So to yell at someone, to throw something, to, you know, swear, whatever, never in a million years would I do that. So that was an interesting kind of moment for me to go, wow, well, my, I thought I was doing a tough job, but maybe my baseline, you know, everyone's is going to be different. Yeah. Um, so that kind of reminds me about good leadership and poor leadership, but also it reminds me in leading myself to give myself mm. a bit of a break that actually what I was doing was the right thing. So. And I think as humans, you must come across this a little bit that we always focus on the things we didn't do too well. I always remember I, I played netball up to um, recently and I always remember the balls that I either didn't you know, shoot and it went out or I flung and they were a bit over or I didn't catch the ball. And I think it's the same at work. We always remember those moments where we just didn't think quite happened so well. Yeah. Um, but really, like, or even in a presentation, oh, I mucked up a couple of sentences, but, you know, an hour of the rest of the presentation was perfectly fine. And it's just such a, an interesting way that the, the human brain works, that that's what it focuses on. It's true. It's so true because we, you know, rejection is one of our mm -hmm. most basic primal fears. So we think if we've gotten it wrong, we're going to be rejected by the group or whatever mm -hmm. that is. So, yeah, I, I, um, I'm the same as you. I spent a lot of time actually focusing on using positive self-talk rather than the negative. So trying to find the positives and turning that into a positive and, a, mm -hmm. you know, then a reinforcing kind of pattern in my mind just to, to move away from that kind of, you know, negative pattern. Yeah, oh, that's great. Great tips. I actually just um, read... I can't remember the guy's name now, but he's the DS from um, SES um, Australia. He's the main guy. He he's um, done a book called Zero Negativity, and he also talks around how you how you choose to see a scenario as yep. it makes a huge difference on yourself and how you go about it, and also that positivity. So he talks about turning everything into a more positive, even if it's something you didn't do too well. Well, what did I learn from that? Okay, yep. I learned that. You know, so um, great book. I actually listened to it in Audible, so he was talking to it as well. But I find that to be very good. Just a few pointers and particularly from what you just said, it kind of resonated. Yeah, yeah. Well, you choose your mindset. And someone said to me actually a couple of years ago that your mind is a bit like your GPS system. 
what yes. what do you think about is actually where your body and your everything is going to head towards. So if you're constantly thinking about the negative stuff, focusing on the stuff that you don't do well, then you're going to just continue to do that. So like, mm. oh, okay, that's quite useful. So yes, I do sort of reframe things. I'm a big learner. I'm a big reflector. I will often say to my kids, okay, so what did you learn from that? Mm. Um, what did you hear that I'm saying to you? Because often they're two different things. Um, yeah. And then the same for myself. And I, I, you know, I have to practice what I preach. So I've used that positive um, positive self-talk a lot and my mom I'm talking about my mom she'll love this um, <laughs> she calls it radical acceptance so she's yeah. like sometimes you just got to accept this is the way that it is so rather than rally against it and COVID was a really good example where um, people spent a lot of time rallying against it and everyone did their own thing but I figured pretty quickly I can't do anything about this I can only mm-hmm. do what I can do so I will control the environment that I have and we will make the most of it so we you know played silly board games and we got a whiteboard in the kitchen to write chores who's doing chores and you know we just the kids spend all day in their pajamas homeschooling but they're online and they're doing their work and so we've made the best of the situation because we you know I just decided that that was a better way to do it and it it actually turned out to be okay the kids don't want to go back to school now actually (laughs) they want to stay too much fun (laughs) too much fun they want to be in their pajamas so yeah well that's so great and uh, hello to your mom if she's listening as well um I think that's lovely that you you keep on bringing her up and she's been such a good role model for you so let's flip to I guess have you figured out or thought of any main challenge that you faced in your career you know or as your role as a manager um I think that um yeah look I think that um there's a number of things that I faced actually as a leader because at, particularly as you get more and more um, as a senior leader, you've got mm. more and more people that you're having to deal with. So um, we think of leadership as in like top down, right? You've got your team. Um, so it's like one to seven, 10, 20, whatever you've got, like one to many. Mm-hmm. But that's usually what we think about in terms of leadership. But I think the reality is, and this is where the 360-degree tools are picked just have popped up the reality is as a leader that you're actually working with a very broad group of stakeholders and Mm -hmm. as you get more senior or as in different roles in different organizations that can be like a few people or that can be multiple people Mm -hmm. so that takes a lot of effort and energy so I've learned some things about how to sort of map stakeholders and how to deal with people that has been quite helpful Mm -hmm. my first degree major in psych so that was kind of useful too Um, so that that's been a really interesting learning Um, so leadership is not just about the people underneath you so that's kind of what I I learned the other thing is that I thought you know anyone I've come to realize anyone and everyone is a leader you don't technically have to have people reporting to you to be a leader because these days we have cross-functional groups we have Mm -hmm. agile groups we have people that move um, from project to project or team to team we have the gig economy so a big proportion 50 to 60 percent of us will be working in a gig or a portfolio career in the future so you will be part of multiple teams so you don't Mm -hmm. technically have to be a leader to be a leader so I talk to people about leadership skills being applicable regardless of whether or not you've got a formal kind of hard line of a team underneath you so they're Mm -hmm. kind of the the sorts of things that I've learned Um, I've also learned that you need to just manage your own um, energy and your own um, self because people will take from you as Mm. much as they can because you're in a role where you know people come to you they they want help whatever so you need to manage yourself and you need to teach people to be self-sufficient without you giving them the answers all the time so I would frequently say to my team 
come to me with a solution. I, my door is always open. We don't yeah. have doors, but by this, you know, the door is always open. You come to me with a solution. Don't come and dump a problem on me. I want you mm-hmm. to come and here's a problem and here are the four things I've thought of. Let's talk about which one is the best one. And I'm like, yay. So they're the things I've learned. Yeah, and I think that that's so interesting because I find as well, like, no, especially when you're getting busier and busier and busier, it's just easier to give people the answers. But it's easier for that moment. It's not yeah. easy for every other moment thereafter, you know. And I've caught myself a couple of times more recently, like playing back like a project or a certain meeting. And I thought, oh my gosh, I was the most senior person there. I kind of took over. I was really busy. I had a million things on my mind. And how much of the learning experience really was that for the individuals in the room? And so I've been really, this is one of my real self-reflection exercises I'm doing at the moment, trying to work on. Um around that constant kind of coaching and and letting people bring their solutions and all those sorts of things because I feel like in the last year in particular now that I've got busier I've got myself into a few bad habits so anyway so it's good that you brought that up because it's it's, I'm certainly working on at the moment yeah and look it's very common it's very common because our brains want us to be efficient like our brains will get to the the end point the fastest way possible so it's very common and we all do it um but i i have found that if you can make that investment find a way of make that investment that usually pays off in the end but it Mm. does it takes time it's like hiring a new person and delegating work you're like oh it's just quicker to do it myself but it doesn't help in the long run yeah yeah having that long-term view Okay, so final question here. Any hot tips other than the amazing things that you've already given um, the audience already, but any other hot tips that you might want to provide for managers? Um, So I would say uh, management sounds really hard and really complex and there's lots of frameworks and coaching and whatever. But my fundamental principle is just treat someone the way you would want your manager to treat you. So if you Mm -hmm. just come from that really basic place of how would I want someone to talk to me? How would someone get the best out of me? Then you've got kind of a good starting point. But Mm -hmm. also get the resources. And this is not just a plug for Manager IQ, but get (laughs) that like learn, right? So there's ways of doing things that have been proven over time work. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. Learn. Mm. Apply Mm. it. See what works. Keep going. That's what I would say. Oh, I love that. Um, And I think leadership and management is a lifelong learning journey. Um, so I think that's such a great tip that you mentioned it and the whole world evolves so quickly and you get different cohorts of people that are coming through your organization as well and and also just to refresh your own practices so make it even more exciting for yourself. I think learning and reading books or um, you know doing courses or there's so much a raft of information on LinkedIn, whatever it is, just being more curious and um, recognizing that the more that you lo- learn or evolve is just going to help yourself as well as your people. So I just I love that hot tip. We do a lot of learning through Manager IQ, that's for sure, just kind of building everything. (laughs) Yeah, and and the thing is, I think when we're in a learning and a curious mind frame, the mindset, we'll give things a go because we won't be so worried about failing. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, now my voice is failing. Um, (laughs) But if we put so much pressure on ourselves to get it right because Mm -hmm. we're worried we'll fail, then we're never going to learn. We'll stay in our little bubble of safety and security. So I've always kind of taken the approach to go, okay, well, I'm going to learn, I'm going to try, I'm going to be curious, I'm going to ask questions, I'm going to get feedback, knowing that some of that I'll get wrong. And I have to manage my own ego around that because obviously no one's perfect. But you're much more likely to grow and develop if you say, I'm just going to experiment and play with this for a while rather than I have to get it right. Obviously, you choose your circumstances because there are sometimes, like if you're walking into an executive meeting, 
that's not the time necessary to try and play something new. <laughs> so you, you time it, but if you can keep your um, sort of mind open to I'm going to try some things and I'm going to give mm -hmm. a bit of experiment, then you're more likely to keep learning and growing and, uh, you know, use the technology that's available to you and, um, mm -hmm. yeah, the sky's the limit. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. And, and Danny, how can people get best in contact with you if they, they wish to chat post this, um, this conversation? Oh, absolutely. So thank you for your time. Uh, we're at pioneera.com. They can email me, danielle at pioneera.com. We keep it very simple. Um, <laughs> we're also on LinkedIn. So we're a LinkedIn group. Um, our LinkedIn sort of company page is Pioneera Group. So just look for the P with the line underneath it and that's us. So yeah, please come and follow, come and join, give it a try. We're really helping people. We're helping improve engagement. We're helping reduce burnout. So love to have people come on board and um, yeah, change the, the nature of the workplace with us. Mm. Well, thank you for all that you and your, your organization are doing. It just sounds like such a, an amazing, meaningful um, vision that you have there. But um, thank you so much for your time and look forward, to, look forward to chatting to you again soon. My pleasure. You too. And thank you for doing great work in Manager IQ too, Lex. So, yes. Thank you. All helping people, aren't we? We're just trying to help, help those who, who need a little bit more, which is great. All right. Take care. You too. Thank you.